0: But we really could, you know, when you get to the walls like that, just kind of go through there real fast. Because uh, so if you need some of the details later, we can come back and fill them in. You know, that was actually one of the things that was uh, brought t- to the table back when Al was here, we had those nine people up here, Janine, and uh, these pastors from Cross Plains, and the uh, prophet from Amarillo, and, you know, all these other folks that were here, and we, uh, that was an interesting session that he had. Uh and they brought up a few things that, uh, that we were, you know, my generation was looking for in the next generation because we we're going to hand this thing off to you all. You know, you're going you to have to carry this thing. And one of the things was just, uh, a lack of knowledge of, of the Bible. And, uh, and, we, and there was a challenge for that, you know. When are you going to do this Bible study? And they said, we'll do it. When? We'll Sunday? Good enough. And so that's, that was really, really a blessing for you all to respond that way. And I don't think you'll, you'll ever, ever regret doing that. Because so that's going to be a ticket for you forever. Another one of the things that came up during that time was this need for passion. The right kind of passion for the Lord. And uh well us mentioned that, I think Jade mentioned that as well. I mentioned that. Uh, zeal is the word. Zeal. We talked about that last time. We're going to do it again today. Zeal is a, an impressive force in the universe. It is an amazing thing. Uh, God has, in fact, uh, the Greek, the Hebrew word for zeal, he says his name is zeal. Uh, so when he says his name is, you literally get into the very structure of God. Uh, it doesn't just describe what he does. It describes him, his personality, his heart, the way he thinks. Him. God is zeal. He's jealous. That's one of the words. In fact, let's just use a couple of those words. Zeal is the word, and it's sometimes uh, interpreted in the, in the English Bible as zeal. Uh, it's always the same Greek word or Hebrew word, but it's, you know, different English variations of it to describe the meaning of it the context that it's used in. So there's a couple of words that's also used alongside it, jealousy or jealous and envy. They're all the same word. And and sort of the the formula is is that you're jealous for the things that belong to you. But you're envious when you're trying to obtain things that don't belong to you. But it's the same feeling. You want something bad. Now, zeal is not just a mood. You know, I'm not just in the mood for something. Therefore, I really it like, uh, my wife really wanted an orange juice this morning. And she had to have it. That's not, that's a mood. Sometimes you're in the mood for all kinds of stuff. Sometimes it's good. But zeal is not just a mood. But rather... It is a strong emotion that's in God, and he puts it in us. It's a strong emotion that triggers action. You will move. Something will happen. Now, with God, when his zeal is incited, if it's for something wrong, it will result in destruction of something or someone. I mean, he will blow up stuff. When it's uh, incited because of his grace, it results in immense love for his bride. In fact, that's kind of where the whole thing ends. It it really describes the emotion of a husband for his bride. And it's an all-consuming thing. When that's on the radar with a man, I can tell the women this. I don't know if you believe me or not, but when that's locked in for a man, you know there's a bride on the horizon. Nothing else matters. He locks in right there, and he will pursue that until it's done. Am I right, guys? I mean, it's just nothing else matters. The cowboys don't even matter. I going a long way here. They really don't matter. They really. Sometimes better. After you get the marriage going, you go back to Cowboys. You know? No. But, I mean, it's like, it's like the, the Bible is kind of like a sun coming up. It, nothing can hide from its intensity. It is looking for it. So zeal results in action. Now, the question is, whom does it serve? Your zealous action, whom does it serve? We read last week in James. There is an incorrect version of zeal that serves me. If it serves me, uh, my personal advancements or my personal goals, it is not from God. It comes from the devil. It is demonic. Zeal can come from the demons, or it can come from your natural inclination for things. So, uh, it it brings up the issue of, uh, of the source of your zeal, and the motivation for your zeal. If it's rooted in God, then it will serve God's purposes. And what's interesting, if you are serving God's purposes, they will overlay your own personal calling in life. You really ought to think about this. If you're serving God's purposes, you will fulfill your Jeremiah 29, 11, your Psalm 139, your Romans eight twenty eight twenty nine, 29. The calling of your life that was preordained before you were ever created. That call. If you're serving in your zeal the purposes of God, those things that are you will be gathered up together. And, and you can do what you're supposed to do in life. And you will be totally satisfied. Now, you all know, don't you, that you've been zealous for things that had only to do with you. This is true. John is the Cowboys again. That's an easy one. So, but if you get locked in with God concerning the things that you're doing, everything that you will do for him will satisfy you. You can do other things that will satisfy you that won't have anything to do with him at all. In fact, it will satisfy your enemy, the devil. Well, in summary, zeal, the correct version, has everything to do with God's plan for his people. It's always about God's plan for his people, especially for his bride. Now, God has always used people as his vessel. To express his plan, his purpose, his zeal. He's always used people. We're going to talk about that today. How does that work? Well, look over first in Matthew 7. The question is, Is are you the vessel that he is using for his purposes? Right now, are you being used for the purposes of God? Or are there other things going on? Matthew 7. Now, we're not talking the word... The word zeal does not come up in this, in this passage, but it really does fit the point of the zeal. Jesus is talking here, and he says in verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets. So, so I can rephrase this, beware of anything false. Beware of what is false. okay? And in a prophet or anything, beware of what is false. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And here's, here's the, the absolute acid test. You will know them by their fruits. That's the acid test. Sometimes it takes a while to see the fruit, folks. And as a matter of fact, sometimes it takes a long while. You know that some of the parables that play here, like the parable of the wheat and the tares. They both grow together. They look like each other until the time for fruit. And then you can tell the difference. But even then, it's hard to get it out of there. Get the tears out of there without messing up the, the good stuff. So in all of us, there's this sowing going on from the kingdom of God and also from the enemy. And oftentimes, most times, the things that Satan puts in us look a whole lot like the things that God has caused you to do. A whole lot like it. It's a tear. So, when he says you will know them by their fruits, you also have to throw this in there. And that sometimes takes time. For you to really see what it is. I remember what I was, I've had the most fun, I guess, of anybody in the trying to put a, gar- uh, a yard in. I'm facing this open field over there where all the southwesterly wind just blows over. Every freaking weed that lives in West Texas is up in my yard. I don't care what I plant. For a long time there, I was kind of young, dumb, and, and, you know, not learned yet. I would have the, the, the first green yard in the neighborhood. Is that good news? Not if, you know, not if you know real yards of like Bermuda grass or other grasses. No, if my grass was greener before the other guys, it's because the weeds were there. I thought, oh, it was grass. It wasn't grass. It was weeds. It was tears. Things that looked like grass. Give it a little time, three or four weeks. When the real grass was supposed to come up, my grass was burning and turning brown. And I was left with no yard at all. So you got to wait. And you've got to be discerning. Let's keep reading here. <clears throat> Verse 16. You'll know them by the fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. And thrown into the fire. That's good news, by the way. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Keep reading, though. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And then he will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name. And done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Isn't that crazy? Is so what's the difference between casting out demons, doing wonders, and prophesying from fruit? Is no a difference? Yeah, these are gifts. These are gifts. These are signs that follow someone. You don't even look at it. You don't even go sometimes. I had a sermon here about 35 years ago. got a lot of responses because I was in the, in the height of the charismatic movement, which was gifts all the, over the place. And I, this was the sermon. We are coming to a day where the fruit of the Spirit will judge those gifts of the Spirit. What matters most is not gifts, it's fruit. Alright? At the end of time, when Jesus starts to come back, that will be the issue for this generation. Because everybody will be doing the wonders. The devil himself will be doing signs and lying wonders. People will be calling fire down from heaven. The Antichrist will. So there will be many, many displays of power. That's not what he's talking about when he says you'll know them by their fruits. Folks, you really ought to listen to me now. What draws you? What pulls you in? Is it big displays? Or is it depth of character? See, depth of character is where fruit lives. Displays, even the devils can do that. Amen? So we're going to show some of this here in just a little bit. But by their fruits, you will know them. Now, <clears throat> I said that Jesus always uses, God always uses vessels to display his zeal. Look over in John chapter 2. Let's look at Jesus himself as our primary example of that. Jesus Himself. John two verse thirteen. Now what's interesting here is the setting of what's about to take place. Jesus has just left a wedding in which he did his first miracle. He turned water into wine for a wedding. And in doing that, it was literally like he was bracketing his entire ministry on earth. The way he started with a wedding, and the way he will end it all with another wedding that's still before us, turning water into wine. Right after he starts the process of showing, up, I want to show you the whole thing is about a wedding. He immediately goes to the temple, and this is what he does. Verse 13, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who sowed oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers money, and overturned their tables. And he said to those who sowed doves, take these things away. Do not make my Father's house. A house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. This is proper zeal that brings and triggers real action. He wiped out those who had made his father's house a place of merchandising, marketing, making money. Now that was what he started his ministry doing. At the end of his three years, over in Matthew 21, we see the same thing. Matthew 21. Jesus entering into Jerusalem from the last time goes into the temple that he had cleaned three years later. Verse 12. Jesus went into the temple of God. And here we go again. He drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. And overturned the tables of the money changers and seats of those who sold does. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So, he started his ministry doing it. He ended his ministry doing it. What drove it? Zeal for God's house. See, it was zeal for something other than me. It was God's house that drove him to do these things. And the thing that really got him was that it was all about money when it got into God's house. And that was never God's intent. Don't you remember what Jesus himself said about money? You cannot serve God and mammon or money. You can't. It's impossible. You're going to love one. And hate the other. Eventually, it will show what your motivation is. If it's about money, he's going to burn it out of there. Amen. Think about it. Just think about it. Is money ever an issue? It's always an issue. It's always an issue. If you can't serve two masters... God and mammon. My next question would be this. Then can you serve God and yourself? Is that not two masters? Yourself being one of those two masters. If you can't serve two masters, you've got to take it all the way through. I mean, it's not just money. It's any other master other than just God. And so this is where we really start testing the fruit You'll know them by their fruit. Who is being served? Now, look over in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. You know, when I first started my ministry here at Andrews, I ran into a situation that led me to this scripture. Let's read it first. I actually experienced what this does. And it made it come alive for me. And it's been a marching thing with me ever since. I mean, this has been an edict for me. And I try to apply it as I look at other people and raise them up in ministry. It's to make them look at this. Uh, chapter 2 of Philippians. Let's just start in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, verse 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one cord, of one mind. That's all unity. Unity, unity, unity. Look, verse 3. This is in opposition to verse 2. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or vain glory. Conceit. Vain glory. That's King James. Let nothing be done. I mean, you can just stop right there and just camp out, people. He's not talking about most things. He's talking about everything. It has to be tested by that motivation. Let nothing be done without being the motivator. Self, self It's my ambition to be or to get or to do and my glory when something happens. You know, when these guys were casting out demons in his name, do you think they might have taken a little glory unto themselves? Because so they did bring it up, didn't they? Here's my resume. I did these things. Well, I wonder if they got glory for that. I don't know if they put it, you know, as part of their card that they pass out. But he says don't do anything for that purpose. Keep reading but in loveliness of mind. Let each see seem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of, of others. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? Well, he goes on and talks about the mind of Christ. How Christ humbled himself. Even to the point of dying on a cross for you. So. This is an acid test of what is being done. The motivation for what is being done is right there. I said earlier that something happened when I first started the ministry that made me go there. So somebody did something, and it was all about selfish ambition in their life. And, well, I mean, they were like locked in on this thing they needed to do in the church and the reason it came to my attention was because, because of their selfish ambition, it really hurt and damaged me and my family. And the, my takeaway from that was this: whenever there is selfish ambition, there is always a victim. Always. You just think about it. There's always a loser. When selfish ambitions. Right, because you're going to win. You do it to win. That means someone is going to lose. There's always a victim. Always. Just watch. When you see somebody doing something that's all about them, look around and, just, and you wonder, is that really God? Look around and see if that affects anybody in a victim way. It's amazing how that, just, that works. It's crazy how to do the words. So, there is a victim here uh, with self-examination in this scripture, and that victim is the unity of the body of Christ. When you have that driving your ministry, the one thing that will take a hit is what Jesus prayed for in John 17, that we would all be one in one accord. When someone is driving their ministry, no matter what, into anywhere they want to go, they're going to run over part of the body of Christ. You can bank on it. So we they phrase it, well, we're just putting a new campus in so-and-so town. Did you go to that town and ask who was worthy there and ask them, there's there need to be another church in, in this town? Or did you just drive yourself in there and just... Make another campus for the name of your church. Because that's what goes on. All in the name of what? (laughs) Susan and I, a year ago, went to a church in in the Metroplex. Really wanting to worship and be blessed and, you know, just receive good word. Found the most glowing church around. Five or six or seven campuses, each one with know, a couple thousand people in it, packed every Sunday. Boy, I was waiting. i my man, music so great, worship, we to do the music's going to be worship, good word. I walked out of there so depressed and underwhelmed because it was, it was all prepackaged and plastic. That was the best that we got. I thought. That's the best that the body of Christ has? Wow. I was so disappointed. It wasn't, I, I mean, I can honestly say for the first time, maybe. That wasn't about me. My attitude was good. I wanted to, I wanted it was a good attitude. I came out there and just going, golly, that's ridiculous. So, something is all right. And if people flock to that kind of stuff, and that's good enough, you wait till the Antichrist gets here. woo You talk about being deceived, they're going to take it hook, line, and stinker. Because he ain't going to come out there with this old mediocre, half-baked, plastic stuff. He's going to come out with some real deal stuff that will blow your mind. Yeah, and you'll go for it. Because you've been down here. So it really matters where this, you know, what you feed yourself and where you, where you get it from. And we're running into it now. When we like, give you an example. You know, a couple of years ago we had the citywide thing here. The worship service, the actual church service for the body of Christ and on a Sunday morning. There was a group that wouldn't come because of the campus thing. Now how can you square that? Honestly, just be honest with yourself. How can you square not joining the body of Christ, fulfilling what Jesus prayed for? Is there any excuse? You can make excuses. and also, Michael Well, it. Well, someone showed up at church and we weren't here. And Michael said, well, just put a sign on your door. Then we're all down there. See how shallow it can become? That's your excuse? Or is it your campus? And the goals of the mother church? I'm telling you, time for that is over. We're going to call it out. That's money. That's money. Real money. So, not good enough it's time to quit playing games. That's the bill. No more games. That's just a game. Well, look at First Corinthians chapter 3. I, I want to encourage everybody with slap you the side of the head and so stuff today. First Corinthians 3. Would we ever be prey to such movements? To such bad fruit. Would we? And I was say, well. Why wouldn't we? We're just people. First Corinthians 3. Here's a good one. Verse 1. I brought uh, brethren. This is false statement. Could I speak to you as to spiritual people. But as to carnal people. As to babes in Christ. You know what carnal people do? Carnal people are those who are driven by human nature and not by the Spirit. Do you know carnal Christians? There are carnal Christians. And so they judge things based upon their human nature. Here's a good one. If a church is big, it must be good. Right? That's human nature. Here's a good one for you, guys. If a woman is beautiful outside, she's beautiful inside. Well, that's a crock. Yeah, a negative ghostwriter. What makes her beautiful inside? The Lord. Virtue from the Spirit. And when she's, here's a good one. How do you notice how many women that are beautiful inside look good outside too? Because it's a spiritual thing. So. Paul is saying, I'm talking to you Christians, you're being driven by your human nature. You judge things based on what you see and what you hear as a man. Keep reading. Verse 2. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you are not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. And here's how he proves our carnality. For where there is envy, where there's that word for zeal, applied to the wrong direction. I want something that doesn't really belong to me. Or it's about me. It isn't about God. Whereas that That and strife, which is selfish ambition, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men. And then he takes it to another point. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Y'all think we did that today? Who's the superstars in the body of Christ today? Don't mention them. Uh, I just want you to think about it. You ever think about it? When you seek glory or chase the glory of places, you're carnal. I'm telling you the truth. Because what the effect of that is, is it divides the body of Christ. It's a competition. You know, it's like they blow their horn And say, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me. We're going, we're on the cusp of doing great things. Do it. Heal me. Well, if you had faith, it would have happened. Really? Well, if I don't have faith, then Jesus always provided it. Heal me. If that's your deal, if you're seeking gifts and big displays, I'm telling you, it's carnal. And it's not new. This has always been here. Folks, it's always been here. When I was young in the knucklehead, my carnal self was, shall I mention names? Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hayden, and others that were the superstars of the day. She Kenneth Copeland was as big as anything they've got today. I guarantee you. He could go from city to city in America and I fill up a Dagum auditorium for four days. Every day, completely packed. And what we did, doing, we were seeking it. We were seeking it. What's the fruit of it? Nothing. A jet plane. A jet plane. How carnal is it? If you, I just want you to check, test yourself. If you are seeking glory, maybe you should ask, maybe look under the hood of where you're seeking the glory from. Let me give you one. There was a minister here 30 years ago. This was huge. And I was convinced, and I said, I know some good things came out of it that it was really from God. Tremendous. Called Team Mania. You guys know Team Mania. We know Team Mania. We bought the t-shirt. But there was a glitch in the giddy up afterwards. I mean, they'd, they'd take teams and they'd go to the mission fields and, uh, and do, uh, was it a week there? A, but they were gone a month and they're preparing them and all this kind of stuff. And they had to go out and do fundraising, you know, the little the teenagers and get up ready to go, and then go. And like my son went to Panama, I think, somewhere Central America. It was amazing the, the results. But uh, then hit a spot there where he needed some direction in his life, like terribly. And so I gave him an option: you can either get a job in or you can work for Teen 80. He chose Teen 80, which I thought was a good deal. And I know one of the saddest days of my life was driving off to see that boy in the rearview mirror. Brother heart. 19. I was trusting my son to this place. And I thought, this is good for him. But boy, it wasn't long. I get this call. And my son was a typical nineteen year old motherhood. And he was just he was not happy at all. Just lots of reasons. And I was I had to listen to it, you know, like And it didn't hit me like I thought it would. I thought well easy to grow up. you know. I, that's what I would want to you know, when you grow up you'll, you'll you'll get a better attitude. But he kept saying things that boy, they weren't jiving with the mindset that I had and sending him there. You know what I mean? I thought, this will be like the Marines or something. This will teach you stuff. But I was getting another message. There was something driving them that wasn't clicking with me at all. At all. And he said, that is like, that." y'all remember the movie Ant's? Anybody remember that movie? That's an old movie. <laughs> well, they were all working, and they had, what, it, hornets or something that were uh, dominating them all? And they kept them all in a little dungeon workplace, and they made them think that that was the world. And all you had to do was just work your tail off all the time and give the, the reward, the, the, the fruit of what your work is, to these big old horns, and they took it all. They took it all, and left me, you with just enough to live. He said, "This is like ants." Oh, my! God. So I really started thinking about all the other things I was hearing, and uh, and then I get a call saying they want me to leave. I said, "Why?" Well, we got caught to smoking cigarettes. Because I got a look over here. <laughs> I'm keeping it clean, Rachel. It was cigarettes. And I thought, oh, cool, this is a good discipling moment. I said, well, let me talk to him. And uh, I thought, perfect. This is how you teach a young boy to not do some things and do others. you catch him in the act. And I said, okay, let's 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 do that. Let's how can we discipline him and get the spiritual results out of this bill? And uh, I didn't get that at all. I got the law. The law. You can't do that and work here. I get that. So but aren't you you your whole stick was you you are a razor up of young men and women for the Lord. You're discipling young people. This is a young people issue. Right? This is how you disciple. You take them in the act of something wrong, and then you teach them what is right. This is how you do it. Oh, that ain't what I got. From them all oh, no, No, I straight up wall. I said, thank you very much. I'll be there tomorrow to pick my son up, because I don't want you teaching him anymore. Well, I looked this up this morning, and uh, I looked up Teen Mania. Its primary program included a quality of fire events described by one writer as a mix of pep rock, a pep rally, rock concert, and church service. And they had them over 30 cities around around the world. This ministry focused much of its energy toward domestic and overseas mission trips. And then they had a one-year-long residential leadership training program on its campus titled the Honor Academy, and that's where my son was. The ministry faced criticism for its use of overtly militaristic symbolism, as well as techniques that have been compared as similar to military training. This aggressive element is reflected in the vision segment. To build... An engaged ensemble of young people that are radical, passionate, resilient, informed revolutionaries that will take the gospel to the nations and multiply by teaching others to do the same. And you know words being used today? Radical, passionate, hmm. I wonder by whom. Team data has also been criticized by some former interns and employees for what they characterize as spiritual abuse and financial mismanagement. In its final years, it faced significant financial difficulties, including a foreclosure on their campus, a lawsuit for breach of contract, and over $5 million in negative assets, and then they went out of business. You will know them by their fruits. What was the issue? Money. So when you have a model, I mean, I'm I'm going to tick you off a little bit. When you have a model that is designed for you to be the aunt and go get the money, And going pay for your work, and they're not paying anything for your work in the ministry. They're violating the very core of the ministry. A workman is worthy of his hire. But when you go make the money and give it to them, and then you get nothing except what you can get from the body of Christ, you rob the body of Christ, and you put it over here where all the money goes. them, For another airplane. Now, what would you say, folks? I'm, I'm, I'm throwing this out for an obvious reason. If you had a ministry that had a billion dollar stash and overseas accounts, what would you think about that? What would you think? I would think a lot, wouldn't you? Like, how did it get there? Why is it still there? How is it being used? Is it robbing the body of Christ or is it filling up for the kingdom of God? Do you realize how much money you can make just in interest off another billion dollars? If you just did 5%, which is a conservative number, you have $50 million a year that you could use and never touch the billion. Could you do ministry with $50 million? And you got ants out there building your kingdom. And you are going around fundraising. Is there something wrong with the picture? Or is it just me? That's what's going on. And it's always going on. I mean, I'm things out there like this. It just out happens. Oh no, 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 no. This has been going on for a long time. I get a real sense that we are living in a time much like the late 80s when God moved and busted some of those that were doing it in my day. Jimmy Slayer. Jim Baker. Multiple million dollar deals, Hundreds of million dollars coming in. And he busted them. And I mean it like gobbled falling all over the place. Because it was always about money. And uh, and before we get all high and naughty, if you were real successful in any endeavor in America, it usually is about money. Don't think you would be any different than they are. It's hard not to go there. So God has to come in, and zeal for His house has eaten Him up, and He's going to take it on where they made the house of God about money, merchandisers, and thieves, and He's going to pop them. Well, shout me down. I'm speaking to the young generation. Don't get duped by the hype. It's hype. Put it to the test. I'm getting all kinds of looks. Okay. I'm out of here. And the division. You say, well, how is that in the body and the body of Christ? Do you realize that for every dollar sold in places like that, it's the same dollar to have gone in the local church to do the event in the, in the city in which we all live? You're writing what God could do. Seriously. Did that change anybody's mind about anything? Just push in the pudding. I've been around this for long enough to say, you'll find out after a while. It took 30 years for these guys to go bankrupt. But they're bankrupt. I'm telling you, if it's of God, it will go from generation to generation to generation. That's God. If it's not God, it just ends up in a pool. If they keep it, and then they end up in the book of Ecclesiastes, they die, someone else takes that money. It's a rock. It is a Ponzi scheme. It's every way in the body of Christ. Very good. Put your money on an altar that's been sanctified by by fire. Well, so Paul says, here's how you test. That this might be in you, which was in Christ. What was in Christ? The cross? The cross? Suffering? That kind of stuff. That's real. I don't want to, I don't want to go overly critical here because it's so easy to do, but some of this stuff just blows my mind and we just can blow it off because we think, well, you know, no one's perfect, God Almighty! There's so much of this stuff that goes on, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We don't want to call it out. I'm too old not to call it out. It doesn't matter to me anymore. I guess I'm calling the far down from heaven, huh? Maybe I am. Maybe I am. Look at Second Corinthians. I want to show you some correct zeal. Verse 2, chapter 11. Paul says, I am zealous. Jealous. Here we are. Before you with godly jealousy. I like that. For I have betrothed you to one husband. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceive thee by his truckiness. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It really is simple. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, and we've not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Let's go back to verse 2. He said he had a godly jealousy. That's proper. Because it was about the house of the Lord. More than that, it was about the bride of Christ. His hope was, my zeal is to present her. To my Lord. As a chaste version. That's proper. has nothing to do with Paul. In fact, he suffered much because of that call. And he lists the things that he had to go through to be a part of that call. It's crazy. He was damaged because of it. but he had a godly zeal. I love the footnote down here. It says, all that godly zeal thing. Uh, It says, zeal... Like God has. Zeal like God's zeal. Or zeal which derives from God. It came from God. That's proper zeal. And you know, when anything comes from above, it's first pure. Go read James 3. It's first pure. There's no glitches there. There's no uh uh-oh. No, what you see is what you get. You can look at it all day long, and you don't see all these entangling things. Like who's getting all this money? You don't get that stuff. It just is pure. So, when someone is suffering for a purpose, and you compare that to someone over here is raking in the money, claiming for the same purpose, which one are you going to believe? I would. I would. But our human nature says, oh, needing the guy that's making the money. He must be right. Because that's what human nature does. Right? Oh, if they're doing well, they must be right. Read the Bible. That's why you want to read the Bible. It'll prove what's right. (laughs) Go back to Philippians. Now, look at Romans chapter 10 real quick. Romans 10. I'll show you about Paul. How How did he get here? Romans 10. Well, he was a Jew. And so he could identify with his people. He was like all Jews. Chapter 10 of Romans. Verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. And this is where a lot of people are. But not according to knowledge. See, ignorance of the way it's supposed to be will get you. The trap is the set and second, you'll fall into it. Guarantee you that. That's why you need to read the Bible. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now so look at verse 3. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Does that sound kind like of selfish ambition to you? And you can fill in the, you know, you take other words and put it in there for their own righteousness, their own glory, their own ambition. They're ignorant of what is real. But human nature has its own goals, folks. I mean, I've, you will know, hear my testimony so many times, I know you stick to it. My ambition was to be a warrior. Was that from God? No. But it sure looked good. And what will the world tell me? You know, my mother died still ashamed of the fact that I gave up the practice uh, of law for the ministry. And she was a good Baptist. I put her to shame. Why? Carnality. Well, in America, this over here, everybody, everybody hates lawyers. They still want to be one. Why? Why? Money. And a little bit of vain They They the law and (laughs) order. Same story, 55. So Paul talks about, about the way Jews are. They have a zeal for God. Interesting, isn't it? It's for God, but not according to knowledge. Where did they miss it? Well, it's all about self, and he talked about himself in the same way. Look over at Philippians chapter three, Philippians three, verse two. He says, beware, "Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers." Beware of the mutilation. And for, you know, that's just a little word saying. Beware of the Jews. He's talking about people who want you to be circumcised. He had a run battle with these guys after he changed. For we are the circumcision to worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, do you know ministries today that use that as their banner? No confidence in the flesh. Do you know ministries that use that as their way of ministry? They tell you up front they have no confidence in the flesh. No, they do the exact opposite. We heal here. And when they get up here, I've heard someone say, they start praying, they go, pow! And they'll slap their hands and they'll sweep everybody out and that person's supposed to fall. And be healed. And if they don't fall or be healed, what is the problem? They didn't have faith. It was on them. Because I did the pow and the big, the big deal. Confidence in my flesh. Amen? see me. We Those that are in Christ don't have that, confidence in the flesh. No, no. Jesus will break you if you walk with him. He'll break that confidence. I mean, he'll, he'll barbecue it for you and suck it down your mouth. I've been there. And I still like whips. I'll be my own. And here's where we go at verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. And here's why. If anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Boy, did God ever nail me on that line. He says, you are a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And I bow my knee and says, please save me. You don't want to be called that. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. You got no higher than that. Concerning zeal. Where does zeal drive a guy like that? Persecuting the church. Persecuting the church. Well, you know, he spoke evil of the Baptists. I do that. don't no, no. He killed them. Not just men. Women and children. And where could he get such a thing? Well, they had examples. We're not going to do it today, but go read Numbers 25. Did you just read? You did? You're into the same now? You didn't get Numbers, did you? Did you read about Phineas? What did he do? Yeah. What were they messing around with? Worshipping another god. And they're having fun. He killed them. To stop the zeal of the Lord from killing the entire nation. And so because of him killing those people who were committing adultery against God, he was given the everlasting priesthood. Paul thought he was walking in the same shoes. Oh, these Christians are worshiping another God. Therefore, they deserve what I'm going to give them. So when he says concerning zeal, I'm not feeding persecuting and killing the wrongdoers. What stopped him? Jesus on a <laughs> Jesus on the way. Knocked him off his high horse or donkey and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? So, who are you, Lord? I mean he didn't even know what but he was convinced. He had the highest level of learning and training that you could get in his religion. And he ended up killing the bride that he is later now called to betroth. Isn't that nuts? You don't know where your, your, your calling goes? Look where your warfare is. Killing them. I think that's just foreign. But it, keep going. Concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning the zeal, persecute the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Did it all. But what things were gained to me, here's your test. These I count as loss for Christ. Yes, indeed I count all things. Loss. done in the King James. I like King James better. I mean, he really describes it. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count him as dung, rubbish, that I might gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is what the Jews were missing, which is from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which God is from God by faith. And verse 10. Here's where your zeal is to take you, that I may know him. Folks, if your zeal is for any other thing, I mean, honestly, this is the simplest test I could give you. Does your zeal want to take you to knowing Him, and not just Him? Because I know vast segments of the body of Christ, which is they worship the fact that He was present. That's the term, His presence. Well, He's always here. If you don't feel God always, then something wrong. He will never leave you. but we have elevated His presence into some sort of magical moment. And I dig it. I love to worship like everybody else. But that's like, okay, well, we got there. Therefore, we're there. But read the rest of the verse. If that's it, what about the rest of this verse? Read the rest of it. I may know Him, and the power of his resurrection. What do I need to know that for? Because Paul says, I die daily. What are you dying to? My selfish ambition. My vainglory. glory. My desire for me. you got to put an arrow in it. Throw a juggling through it. And then you get to understand what the resurrection really is all about. You're coming up with a different life. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Seriously. There's fellowship in suffering. If you don't have that, your zeal is wrong. I'm telling you right now, your zeal is misplaced. If you can't tie it to a suffering thing where you lost something that mattered to you, for him and you gain him your zeal is off you're gonna live your life for you and when the antichrist comes you're gonna hear him because he's speaking your language amen did y'all learn anything so taking you off i really clean that up by the way does anybody disagree Privately? Okay. And that was one of the two things that, you know, a few things that we asked you younger generation to get a hand on. Read your Bible. Get your zeal straight. If my zeal is to take another trip for another Believer's Convention in Fort Worth, then I'm wrong. And I did it. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm, buddy, I am throwing bricks. But they hit me too. I, mean, I did it. And guess what it did for me? Nothing except took my money. Truth. That's the truth. I don't like that truth. But it is true.
1: Praise the Lord and Hallelujah,
0: Shabbat and all that. Airplanes for everybody, swimming pools, Whew. witnessing tool. If you're rich, you're, you're gonna be. If you're not, it's your fault. Walk in faith. Amen. I'm sorry. You know what, folks? How are you, your choice? Why are you calling them, Clark? Yeah, I really am. Where's the money in this church? Hold up for the next generation. You're not going to see me touch it. I ain't touch it. And there's a lot there. All of a sudden, it just started coming in, you know. When we started really syncing up with God and passed the test of the cross, certain money. We then here, dropped me to my knees. Did drop me to my knees. I thought I was a dead man walking. My whole family was on the cross with me. I'm telling you, this cost. But I wouldn't touch it with a ten foot pole. It's for you. Truth. Don't ask me how much? I'd have to kill you. But it's a good sum for you to do the kingdom business. Don't come to me with your get rich skiing stuff. Not in it. But if you got something for the kingdom of God, and I mean really practical test, we're for you. It's true. And I may have to die for you ever to really understand that I'm telling you the truth now. But I guarantee you, I think it will be proven. Amen? So I just praise you for all that you do. Who's to take credit for any of this? Nobody. But we can sure praise you. And I do. You know, God, I wouldn't trade a day for what you taught me. I wouldn't trade the suffering at all. Because what God for me was for you. You're what I wanted all along. And now I had that. I wouldn't go back and do it a different way at all. Thank you. My prayer is that that seed could go to this next group and plant itself there in truth. We don't need to go around being critics and stuff like that. Maybe I got too far. I don't know. But God, I do know this. That it ain't about money. It ain't about glory. It ain't about someone showing off. I've seen all that. And I know it's not you. And I don't want these people to have to go through 30 years to figure that out. I just ask that you would open their ears and their hearts that they could receive this truth and reset their calibration to what is the zeal for the house of the Lord and let it eat them up too. Because really, I, I, I will testify on their behalf that they do love you and they do want what is right. I know that is true. So, fix it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See six and we will worship the Lord.